You are listening to Down Home. Episode 5, A Scotian Living in America. In this episode, we have a conversation with Jay's brother, Corey Skinner, about his perspective of being a Black Canadian living in the United States. Welcome to Down Home, the Nova Scotian experience from two Black men. On this week's episode... Uh, we're going to have a conversation with a Nova Scotian living in America. Uh, our guest is uh, Corey Skinner. Say hello, Corey. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Great. And of course, we have Jay Jones. Hello. And uh, just for you folks out there, Corey happens to be my brother. So I'm looking forward to sharing this moment with him and listen to what he has to say. Yeah, his less talented brother, but I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, starting off, Corey, Corey, why don't you give us a, a quick uh, bio and tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. No problem. Um, well, I'm born and raised Halifax, Nova Scotia. Um, very proud to come from there uh, and um, grew up in the north end of Halifax. Actually grew up in the, started out in the pubs, but then we moved to the north end of Halifax and I pretty much had my whole childhood there. Uh, went to St. Patrick's High School for anybody that's, you know, still around there. It's not there anymore, but... <laughs> nope, it's... <laughs> Grass is greener. <laughs> yeah, I hear. Yeah, yeah, but uh, no complaints there. And, um, you know, uh, was very, you know, uh, loved growing up in Halifax and consider myself lucky that I did. Uh, got in, you know, as far as um, the kind of kid I was, um, was involved in, you know, not a very good football player. That was for my other talented brother, Justin, who was really good at football. I was the, but I, I did okay. Uh, and I joined the Cultural Awareness Youth Group, and that was a, a huge thing for me, and it really informed the person I am today. Um, I'm not sure if you know David Woods. Uh, he was uh, David and Anne-Marie Woods. Uh, they're very, very famous artists, musicians from Nova Scotia. Yeah. The Cultural Awareness Youth Group, and like I said, I don't, I definitely would not be where I'm at without their, without their guidance and introduction to Black history and black culture and black businesses. Um, very, very fortunate. And the, something I'm trying to do in my current, what I'm doing in life today, I'm trying to recreate some of the things that I was exposed to when I was a kid. So, you know, consider myself very lucky to have the people around me. Uh, my father was a musician, Jason and, and I, uh, our father uh, was a well-known musician there. So I was always exposed to a lot of music growing up. Uh, I was actually in IT a lot. I worked, used to work for Alliant back when I was in Nova Scotia, but I met my wife and moved out to Kingston. And, uh, you know, one of the things I think we can talk about a little bit, sometimes it's a little hard to get established in Canada, I think. I think there's a little bit of, I see a little bit of a difference there. And so we struggled to, even though my wife is very talented and, and had a great background, uh, we just could not find her positions in, in Kingston, Ontario. And so, we ended up moving south. So we ended up moving to Rochester, New York, where she, her company at the time, she's a dual citizen. She was uh, working out of uh, North Carolina. And um, when Kingston didn't work out, we moved to Rochester, New York, and we've been here since 2003. Uh, I retrained, went from IT to biology degree, and then got my master's from Roberts Wesleyan College for teaching, uh, taught human biology uh, in grade seven to 12. And then uh, I got my, I worked with uh, a master teacher program for five years and came out with my um, administrator's degree. We call it, basically, we call it building a district leadership. 
And then since then, I've been, uh, for the last four years, I've been at Athena Middle School, where uh, I'm serving as a vice principal and, you know, trying to put a lot of programs in place for my students. We're a, um, it's a great, great school because it reminds me a little bit of how I grew up. And I think we're going to, I think I have a feeling we're going to talk a lot about education because there's some real differences between Canada and the States, especially as far as the, uh, the African-American, African-Canadian experience. Um, but one of the nice things is the school I work at is probably, it's, it's relatively diverse for the area, and I'll explain what that means later. But the, uh, I would say right now we're probably about 12% African-American. And we're about, okay. uh, you know, with, uh, so I'd say about 20% visible minority at the school. And uh, we're about 50%, um, we measure the poverty rate by free and reduced lunch. So we're around the 50% mark. So it's a, it's a, a mixture of kids from different socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity uh, in the district to work with students of color. Interesting. Educate. Yeah, wow. Wow. Well, uh, to speak to that, um, uh, what type of systemic challenges uh, do the, uh, the black student population face? Well, and I would say this is where the biggest difference, it, it's, there's a fundamental difference between, and I would say, I don't know if this is the same everywhere, but from the research and from the reading I've done as far as the American black experience, uh, I think you'd see this in most cities. Uh, there's a very different structure to how schools are set up. And, you know, typically if you go to Canada, a lot of, um, everything tends to be centered around the city, right? And the closer you are to the city, the downtown of the city, usually the more wealthy you are or the, you know, the more developed the area is. And what ended up happening in the 1960s is you had sort of a white flight to the suburbs. Yeah. Now, you know, in Canada, that doesn't matter as much because there's not a clear line. Like schools are funded by the province, right? And the, the funding goes down to the local level. And so, yes, they want you typically going to your closest, you know, your closest school to you but you don't have to, right? So I chose to always go to my local school where my local friends in the neighborhood were because uh, we grew up in some, you know, uh, some poorer neighborhoods, but I, that's where my friends were. So I chose to go there. My sister wanted to focus on her French immersion. So she got on the bus and, you know, and took the bus, I don't know, all the way to the South End, which, you know, in Halifax, that's a, yeah. that's a, a nice yeah, area, right? Like, again, yeah. talking about how that's directly in the city. Mm -hmm. Now in, so you sort of have a little more flexibility, you know, when you go to St. Pat's, St. Patrick's, you would have kids coming from, you know, like the, some of the housing developments that, that were we're from to also we have, I sat next to my pediatrician's daughter, you yeah. know, so she sat right next to me. Yeah. There is a mixing of socioeconomic backgrounds for everybody, or at mm -hmm. least to a greater degree in Canada. Now, what happened in the States is there's a lot of things that happened all at once, sort of. And it's funny, unless you study it, a lot of people don't realize exactly what happened. <laughs> you know, like if you were to sit someone down and say, OK, uh, and well, let me I'm getting ahead of myself. There was in the 60s, especially after, um, you know, we started losing a lot of great civil rights uh, leaders to violence. Uh, there was also counter counter reaction much it's very similar to what we have going today a mm -hmm. lot of protests um they would say rice riots i don't like the, that word but um 
there was a lot of pushback when we started losing a lot of our black leaders and when we started focusing on the economic disparities here in the States. And so what ended up happening is a lot of white families moved outside of the city. Yeah. So, you know, not, we're not talking huge distances, probably the difference of, you know, moving out to Fairview or Fair, uh, was it Fairview? Is that the name? Am I getting that right in Halifax? No, yeah, that's, that's yeah, been a while. It's been a while. So yeah. like, you know, <laughs> could you walk there? Probably it would take you a while, but you could, if you were, you know, from yeah. North End. But people started moving out there. And here's the tricky part. They started separating from the city. So you have all these, there were little towns before, but they tended to swell up with the suburbs. And so what ended up, and then how it worked is you were only allowed to go to school where your taxes were paid. Oh, okay. So wow. it's a huge, huge thing. And so if, like I said, if you wanted to, if I, you know, and where we are right now, we're in a very diverse we're in a sub suburb, but we're in a diverse suburb that is, again, mixed socioeconomic status, which I think is the, probably the optimal way I wanted to raise my kids. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and we, uh, but if I wanted to, say, send my kids to a place called Pittsburgh, which might be 15, you know, 15 miles away or something, they wouldn't be allowed. Right. So they just right. can't because they're, they're not paying taxes there. So there was a stratification of both wealth and race that was, uh, there was like a fundamental shift. Uh, and to the point where I started my career teaching in the Rochester City School District. And again, the center of the cities became primarily minority. Um, and, you know, as I would say, black and brown students became the, prim the primary students in these schools to the point of 90%. Wow. So it's, you know, so, and what would happen then again, so your schools are only funded by your tax base. So guess what happens is now all of a sudden you have very different funded schools, right. like a huge phenomenal difference. So that, so this happened all across the board, especially in the Northern cities and to the point where, from what I read, and again, I, I wish I could, I should have, I was looking for my notes to see if I could remember some of this, but to the point we are more segregated than we were before uh, Brown versus the board of education. Mm -hmm. wow. So to this day, so we have disproportionate, um, the, the, the amount of resources that kids have are, are very much dis, disproportionate. The policing is disproportionate. The uh, access to opportunities are disproportionate. And that was one key thing. Another thing here is that, and I believe the last time I checked, uh, the amount of capital wealth and the difference between white families uh, and black families is 20 to one. And there's that much of a disparity. And a big reason of that is something called redlining. I'm not sure. Have you guys ever heard that term before? I've heard the term, yeah. It's yeah. rough. Uh, it's a really rough. So when I say there was a whole bunch of things at once, there was a whole bunch of things at once that were put into place. Redlining goes back a little further uh, than these race riots and the white flight outside of the city. Uh, how it worked, basically, is they decided, uh, you know, in order to get a, a mortgage, you need to, or in order to get a mortgage, to qualify for a mortgage, you need backing from the bank or the, yeah. uh, we have these housing associations here, FHA and... Um, I'm forgetting what the other one is, but they sort of have to underwrite the loans, these mortgages. And so what would happen is that they considered a certain percentage of African-American or non-white communities, the higher your percentage, the less uh, desirable they rated the areas. And what would happen is, so they would circle in red lines, these areas, which happen to be high percentage uh, high percentage visible minority communities, and you couldn't write loans there. 
Yeah. And there was also, there was a, a big, uh, I really wish I had my notes here. Uh, there was a big uh, push to try to repair this. They saw where this was going, right? They saw that there was going to be a huge stratification of wealth. And uh, actually, George Romney, the father of Mitt Romney, was the uh, HUD secretary, I believe, or he was, he wanted to reverse the trend. And he ended up being basically kicked out. Uh, George Romney was essentially, you know, alienated to the, the corners of the Republican Party, because he saw that there was going to be this severe disproportionate uh, and basically resegregation, <laughs> you know, there was wow. segregation came down and it was immediately forming back up. And by the way, redlining did cease to officially exist in the 70s, uh, but the damage was done. But so right. you know, that's why I can live here. I can buy something here that those things are all are, have been broken down, at least officially. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's a lot. Well, of with with that being said, I mean, yeah. it sounds, you know, sounds crazy, like, with that being said, do you, um, given the social and the political climate in, in the states right now, like, um, do you ever consider moving back home so your children can grow up, you know, amongst their family and see more of their roots and things like that? Like, you know, yeah, that's a that's a really good that's a really good point. Um, I would say we are taking a very solid look. Like, my son is he's uh, sixteen, just turned sixteen, so he's in grade eleven. He's going to have to go to university. And so now here's where I'm going to flip things around a little bit. One thing that the States does really well is they give people sort of a second chance when it comes to student loans. Like anybody can get a student loan. That's not the same thing in Canada. It was brutal for me and my sister to try to uh, get college. It was all, we couldn't get them actually, you know, Cheryl yeah. and I both had to work full time because we wow. didn't qualify for student loans in the States. It's actually relatively easy to get a loan, but you can rack up major amounts of debt. So to, to give you an idea, for a mid-range college down here, state schools are a little cheaper, but you're still looking at about minimum of 10000 a year. And to some of the better colleges, you're talking about thirty dollars to $35,000 a year. So in Canada, not even close to that. Canada, mm -hmm. you're pushing seven or eight, I think, these days. Yeah. So, um, so it's, it's a, it's a catch-22. I feel like it was easy for me to make the decision to go back to school, which it wasn't in Canada. Mm -hmm. But- um, for my children, you know, they're taking a very solid look at taking, going to some Canadian university because they don't want to be in debt for the rest of their life. Yeah. You know, and my wife and I can only help our kids out so much. So mm -hmm. with that said, we are definitely thinking about that. I feel like I do a lot of good in the position I'm in now. Um, mm -hmm. we're pushing a lot. Like one of the nice things too, is that, uh, we're a suburb where a lot of, Oh, can I tell you one more thing? Another big thing, a big push, you probably heard about this in the election right now, because Donald Trump was talking a lot about these people coming to the suburbs. Do you remember when he was? Yeah. You know, yeah, his, yeah. his not so dog, not so light dog whistle. Mm -hmm. um, what he's talking about there is it, it's a relatively complicated thing, but here's the gist of it. So if I want to improve, let's say, and by the way, there's almost no African-American teachers in these suburbs either. So like, there's not a lot of like, when you look, I was going to show you guys a map, but they unfortunately must have went down about the last couple of weeks. There's a, a great article called Degrees of Diversity on WXXI. Mm. If you Google it, you'll find it, where they talk about just how disproportionate. You could go to some of these suburbs where even when you're in a, you have a high percentage minority, which my district would be considered a high percentage minority, even though it's only 12% for African-Americans, uh, you're talking about 1% to 2% 
African-American teachers. Wow. Whereas in the city, you know, you're at least, you're probably at least eight or 9%, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of discrimination in hiring. And so, and, and I have a wonderful superintendent who's really trying to break that down, who's going to African-American schools and trying to recruit. Um, so we have, we represent the, the student population that we have, but um, sorry, I know I'm going sort of sidetracked here. Oh, but, right. oh wait, what was I? I did lose my train of thought. <laughs> Sometimes I talk Yeah, we are related. <laughs> oh, oh, I know what it was. I know what it was. Sorry. Yes, I apologize. What it was is when Trump was making that comment, what happens is if you want a different choice for your kids and you want to give them access to better schooling, well, maybe you can't buy property out there in the suburbs, but you can rent a place. So what ended up happening is what uh, Barack Obama and Joe Biden had done under their administration is they basically said there's a way to get um, affordable, like the mortgages are a little easier here in the States than Canada. That's another thing where Canada is not so great on their mortgages. Uh, they, you have to renew your mortgage every five to 10 years, I believe, if you're buying a property and most of the time in Canada, at least it was when, before I left here, whatever mortgage I get, it's for the rest of the, the whole mortgage. So I own, I got my percentage and it's there unless I want to negotiate it. I have it for 25 years if I want, right? No right. renegotiating, no fluctuation. Canada, the Can Canadian banks are sort of strong arming, I think in a bit, but um, what ends up happening is you can get, you can put less money down on something called an FHA loan, right? Mm -hmm. So there are, um, it's like a, it makes the mortgages cheaper for everybody, right? It makes, it's sort of like an incentive. It's like a little bit of a socialization of mortgages. Well, I think with Barack, if I remember correctly, Barack Obama and Joe Biden had said in order to qualify an area to qualify for these discounted rates, um, you have to have a certain amount of uh, low-income housing that's available, right? Because what was happening, if you wanted to keep visible minorities or people that were coming from a lower socioeconomic status out of your suburbs, well, then you just don't allow zoning for apartments, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that was, another, that was another one of those layers that led to this, you know, this uh, um, segregation. So... Um, what Donald Trump was doing was basically rolling all that back, all of those changes, which was going to basically slam shut the opportunity for people to look for uh, better, uh, better schools for their kids. Uh, I'm just going to say, as far as curriculum goes in your school system, how is it uh, as far as black history goes? Uh, so that's a great, that's a great question. So it depends very much depends on, uh, you know, what your school, you know, who you are and what district you're in, right? Okay. Uh, I would say the RCSD, obviously, because they have a very large percentage of African-American students. You're going to mm -hmm. see more innovation when it comes to curriculum. Of course. Uh, I would say, like I said, right now, we're sort of, we're in a nice moment. I mean, outside all the craziness with the election uh, and all the blatant racism out there in the media, um, we are in a nice spot as far as school leadership right now. Uh, as I mentioned before, I have a superintendent who has blown me away. She's uh, her, under her leadership. She has really hit equity. It's like our, it's our priority. It's our number one priority right now. And everything is framed through that lens. So one is bringing down biased discipline. Another one is providing um, opportunities for these students, for the students who traditionally did not go to the certain um, have certain have certain advantages. So we go out of our way to build programs that give kids more exposure to university, more visible minorities. I have a program Excellent. called the RIT STEP program that does that. 
And there's a, right now, they're rewriting the curriculum. We're actually looking at um, taking a lot of the same themes and uh, substituting some of the books we traditionally would have done. Like uh, To Kill a Mockingbird is an example. It's a tough one right now. It's a big, yeah. Uh, yeah, a big political one, right? Yeah, because of course. Traditionally, and I, I didn't mind the book growing up, but you have to sort of think, you know, because it, it was the only way you, they would talk about racial issues. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. At least we got to talk about it. But the lens of it is coming from a white female writer who's trying to write the African-American community, and that's problematic. So mm -hmm. we're, talk, we're looking at, number one, we did as a stepping stone, we actually provided a whole bunch of new material to supplement it, to sort of work around it. So we sort of talked about the civil rights movement, but we used a lot of African-American voices and uh, Latinx voices as well in the material so that we had multiple perspectives. And I think, we're, you know, even now we're even thinking about, we're looking at Just Mercy. There's a kid version of Just Mercy. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, or to either use it instead or again to supplement it. So we're changing, but the funny thing is, is it, I would have to, you'd have to talk to some Canadian educators, but, when I was in high school, I actually, my entire English course was about, was based on African Canadian, um, you know, African Canadian stories, materials, African American, the Harlem Renaissance also covered that. So everything was written through a lens, that lens. I don't know if that still happens. I don't know if that was a special program, but I was, I was impressed, but we're, we're doing that now. And that's 20 something years later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it didn't, it didn't happen for, for, for me when I was going to school. Like mm. those, you know, that part of history was never, ever, you know, you, you had a little, you know, little piece on Moors and, you know, and the Loyalists. And then that was about it. And it was yeah. on to but, uh, sort of European history. But Jay Jones, you're, you're much older, though. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. But, yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying it wasn't it wasn't available to us, which I wish it was, you know. So we're, so we're trying to do that. And again, um, I do remember one of the rich things about, I mean, we had so many talented musicians and I remember visiting the, you know, the African, uh, the African Canadian um, museum. Is that what it was called? The, the yeah. Black Museum, wasn't yeah. it? I know. What was it again? What was it called? It's a um, Black Museum, I believe. Nova um, Scotia, is the one in, um, where is it? In Dartmouth, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I visited a number of times. At least, you know, we had that. There was, you know, there was a lot of people writing about, uh, you know, the uh, Africville. There was, when I left, there seemed like there was a bit of a renaissance within the black community itself, you know, as far as, um, as far as grabbing hold of our culture and history. So yeah. I felt like there was at least some sources there. Um, and again, I think it's definitely hit and miss down here. And I guarantee you, you know, yeah, we have our Black, uh, black History Month. That's about, <laughs> yeah. you know, most suburbs, I think that's your month right there. Yeah. Uh, so I would say it's a mixed bag. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I know you, you've touched on the election a couple of times. Uh, we want to get your take on what's going on in the States. By the time this uh, episode airs, hopefully a lot of this will be, uh, you know, uh, water under the bridge. Yeah. But uh, what, what is your take on the, the, the atmosphere, the political atmosphere that's going on in the States right now? It's rough. It's, uh, it's the, I would say, um, the overall demeanor is people are concerned because very, everybody's very, very polarized right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I want, that's a, that's one thing too, that might be important for people to understand coming from Canada, that those things I mentioned, 
like basically the destruction of wealth in the black community and the unfair practices. There's also a number, like there's a ton of, you can read a ton of research papers on what happens when you apply for jobs with African-American names, you know, with, with traditional African-American names uh, and how it, it's, it's, there's a lot, lot of bias there. There's a lot of housing bias. So there's a lot of pent up, everybody, people know that. And it's not, it's not really being fixed. And so, and then when you add the policing side of things, to, which is unlike anything in Canada, mm -hmm. right? And I mean, I, I was, I'll be honest, I was not a huge fan of HPD, Halifax Police Department. Um, <laughs> I, could, I could go on and on, but I might have to visit there someday. <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, so trust me, I know it is not sunshine and rainbows in, uh, when it comes to, you know, policing in, in Canada, but it's not like it is that. And I, and I will say that now, I'm gonna preface something. I know some wonderful officers. I work with some wonderful, I just had an amazing, uh, we did a community night on Friday night. That was just, or no, sorry, Thursday night. That was amazing. You know, like there really is an outreach and there's a hiring, there's a push to hire more African-American officers, but you know, that's a response <laughs> to what's, you know, to what's been going on. I would say there mm -hmm. hasn't been a huge initiative in the past, but one of the biggest things that's different is here in the States, all they have to do is be afraid that you're going to hurt them and they can use deadly force. Hmm. And that is a very big difference between the system in Canada, right? Like they can't, if you don't have a weapon on you and you don't draw on the police, the likelihood of you being shot dead unarmed is, is, is a lot, in my opinion. And again, I could be wrong if people were to crunch the numbers, but with the amount of shooting of African-Americans, we're not talking like it's not George Floyd. It's not, you know, it's, it's not, you know, um, a, a few examples there's hundreds and there's a perception there's a, a fear i think there's a there's a fear of of being black in this country that's that's pushed through between probably the media the you know it just it's there and i think that that ends up causing and then the fact that you can shoot, you can kill, shoot, kill someone as long as they fear that they're going to be hurt. If wow. someone's driving near you, I mean, they, they, there was a 17 year old who was killed relatively recently for driving towards an officer, right? Really? Like that would put you in jail if you were an officer in Canada. And that's, and, and here they have qualified immunity that, that's not even, you know, it's, they, I, they probably won't even make it to trial. You know wow. what I mean? so, Still that sort of slave police mentality from, you know, like, when the police force started way back in the days of after slavery, that's basically what they did as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and I've seen it too. Like it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's just, like I said, so I think there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more bias also too, towards how police officers view African Americans. I've, I've seen it, you know, like wow. I, I've had it twice, you know, where um, I was pulled over twice on weird stuff, you know? Uh, and I remember with, uh, with Philandro Castile, got killed you know he was you remember him he was yeah. the one the four-year-old was in the back seat mm -hmm. oh uh, yeah yeah yeah. was right there and he, all he was doing was reaching for his license mm -hmm. and he was killed and again there will not be charges in that case so and, and i remember like I, I remember i was driving home one night and you know i was coming from the gym so i was wearing gym stuff and i was i was like probably i think i was 12 over the speed limit you know so I, you know all fairness i was going a little too fast <laughs> Uh, and I got pulled over, and this is before Philandro Castile. And 
So I'm right there. I'm and I roll down the window. I'm waiting for him to come up to me. Shines a spotlight in the car. I'm like, okay. Um, and then I went to reach for my license out of the thing, and he was screaming, his hand on his weapon, like he, you know, in his from the sound of his voice, he thought I was going to murder him. Wow. You know, and I'm like, I'm just getting my. We have to get our papers out of the out of the glove <laughs> compartment. You know, yeah, like, that's where they are. I have to reach there. That is, you know, and it was. It didn't occur to me until Philander Castile was killed that, and coming from Canada. Like, you know, because the, they'll talk about something called the talk here. And it's a conversation you have with your kids about what happens when you are, you know, and it'll be, I always, I told my own son, listen, you're getting big. You know, this kid's now pushing 160 pounds. He does a lot of weights. I said, listen, you got to move real slow. And you mm-hmm. ask, you know, and cause, because fear, fear can determine your outcome. And that's a crazy thing. And that's something that, like I said, that doesn't, that's, that's not to the same level. That doesn't mean you don't have corrupt or violent cops in Canada. Of course. But it's a different level. I'm sure if you look at the numbers, you'd be surprised. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, um, that difference between, you know, almost overt versus covert racism, I guess you could say. Yeah. And it's a, um, it's a mixture. And I think that's what's fueling the protests we have right now. It's interesting because downtown Toronto, we are, we are insulated in multiculturalism, literally. Yes. Much more so than down home in Halifax. Like you walk, I yeah. walk out to the, and we live right downtown, literally. I, I'm, I'm about a, a 10 minute walk away from the CN Tower. And like I walk out in, into a main street and I don't see too many white faces in my neighborhood, right? It's very multicultural. And I think I would say most Canadians view that as a strength. It is a strength, right? but yep. it, it's also very insular as well. Like it uh, yeah. insulated my children in a, in a, in a world where they, uh, you know, they don't seem to be different. Mm. Um, so it's, it's interesting, like uh, how when this stuff with George Floyd and Beyond Taylor came out, we had to have a talk with our children as well, but it was a slightly different talk, I'm sure, than a lot of parents had to have in the states. You know, we we had to explain to them, yes, you know, you know, you're not, you don't see a lot of this in Canada, but you know, there is this possibility of things going on if you go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 and you got to, you, know, you have to keep it in mind. Like we go. We go to Myrtle Beach, like we have a, one of the kids' grandparents uh, flies down usually. I mean, not COVID for a while. It's been a long time since we've seen family. Um, but um, we go to Myrtle Beach every year, and we are very cognizant about which way we go. Like, there's some places that you don't, we, you, you cannot drive. You've got to be careful, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. there, it's still, there's places where you can get out and get gas, and it's like, you know, all of a sudden you're getting stink eye from seven or eight people. Especially if you got multicultural, if you got a mixed family too, yeah. right? interracial family. So I got a I got a story about because we drove down to Myrtle Beach. Uh, how long ago was that? Jay Jones was that like 2012? Yeah, eight years ago. I was gonna say. Oh my goodness, man! So we drove down to Myrtle Beach, right? And um, we had planned it so that we'd drive for a certain distance and then we'd check into a hotel. Drive a certain distance, check into a hotel. So we were a day away from Myrtle, Myrtle Beach. And uh, <laughs> we get a flat tire. It's the middle of the night. And we don't know where we are. We're, we're literally about 15 minutes away from our way stop. 
So we pull off onto this gravel road. I have no idea where I was. And um, I'm out there. I'm changing the tire. I got my whole family in the, in the truck. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, Derek, just, you know, sit down, do your tire, doing the tire. Someone pulls up, flashes a flashlight. Oh, man. All okay over there? <laughs> I said, yep, we're fine. We're fine. We get yeah. to the hotel. And I, I'm talking to the guy and I'm going, oh, man, yeah, I just got a flat tire. And he said, oh, where y'all stop? I told him where. He go, He looked at me, looked at my family and said, ah, y'all lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, true. it's true. Like uh, in, um, when, I, when I was uh, 12, um, I used to go to Mon- I used to go to Montreal all the time in the summertime with my grandmother, um, Evelyn. And um, uh we decided to drive down to Disney world. We rented an RV. It was like cool, you know, just driving down. Um, and when we got down to the Southern States, we got down to Atlanta and there was this crazy sort of highway congestion. There's, there's a traffic jam. And um, we got into it with uh, my family, got into it with uh, a, a trucker that was ahead of us or something like that. And um, at the time, my cousin's boyfriend, who was Italian, he had, actually brought a gun so like so he gets out and he's all riled up i don't know exactly what was said but uh when i i was sort of up in the loft area of the rv and i opened the window and i heard the the one of the guys said if you if you don't go back in there we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna like do some damage to you and your black friends and it was just like wow you know and at that age you don't really think about it because like Derek said, everything's so insulated in Canada, you know, and even in Nova Scotia, it was, you know, um, but when, when you guys telling your story, you just think back to those traumatic experience that you really, you know, kept in your mind. And, and now with the way the world is today, you're just like, Holy smokes. It's just, uh, you know, I, I, you know, and some of the things that were said and just bringing up everything, you know, of the, you know, uh, the murders this summer and, and you know it's been going on for ages it just infuriates me I don't mean to get so emotional about it but it just sort of takes you to that place like it's almost like blacks don't have a chance you know yeah there's a lot of things that are adding up and it's, it's there in the numbers but again if you were to sit down someone from the suburbs and say you know why do you think there aren't any more you know like literally there's there's some suburbs here that are 90 three percent white you know what i mean and then you might have two percent asian and then you might have one you know it's it's such it's such a difference it's such a stratification of yeah. society. Uh, and again you know in all fairness if you're poor and white you're not living there either <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. so there is yeah, a that's true pricing out and you know the the myth is and i read this somewhere and i have to start writing this stuff down somewhere but i read somewhere that when they talk about the American dream, they're talking about upward mobility and Canada's upward mobility is actually better than the American. You know, it's, it's more of a myth than a reality. You know, mm-hmm. there are, there are some things that are, I will say there are still some advantages down here. Well, this uh, is great. Thanks for being on the, uh, the podcast, Corey. This is, this has been an awesome uh, discussion. Uh, yeah, Jay right, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, very much, brother. Um, yes, brother Corey, thanks for coming on and sharing a little bit of your story and what you see and what you do. Um, and yeah, you're talented too, man. Like, uh, 
takes a lot to do what you do and, and to make change. So, uh, you know, as a brother, I'm proud to see that. And I want to thank you for coming on, man. Yeah. So this has been another episode of Down Home. I'm Jay Jones. And uh, we got Derek Wise. And uh, this week's guest was my brother, Corey Skinner. Thanks a lot. No problem. Thanks, Jess. Okay. You have been listening to Down Home. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The song, Breaking New Ground, from The Breakdown. On a high plateau, from the one down below to the future of the...